This is the Leverage Advantage, sharing expert lessons on marketing, strategy, and teams to scale your business with your host, Fazil Musa. Hey guys, welcome back to the Leverage Advantage show. And today we've got a very special guest with us. We've got Nina Sunday, who's extremely experienced in business. She's a certified speaking professional with the Professional Speakers Australia. And that's a, a title that's only given to about 12% of professional speakers worldwide. In fact, uh, I have a lot of friends in, in Professional Speakers Singapore, and maybe only three of them are CSPs, right? Um, now, Nina is extremely experienced in business. In fact, she currently has a nationwide training company in Australia where she's got a network of trainers and organizations where trainings are actually happening even though she's here having an interview with me. So Nina, I'm very honored, very grateful, very humbled to have you on the show. Um, can you share a little bit about your story about how you got started in, with your, your, your huge experience in business? Well, thank you so much, Fazil, and I'm delighted to be here and speaking with you. Um, when I was 19 and studying at university, I enrolled in a speed reading course. And after completing that course, they invited me to train as an instructor. So I was teaching speed reading in different cities around uh, the, the state. And it kind of whetted my appetite to training and enrolling people and selling because I had to do the selling uh, lectures as well. And I kind of had my first experience of selling, even though I was, I was at university to study how to become a school teacher. And I stayed doing this part-time work for the speed reading company off and on until the year I went out teaching. And then I had a gap from working with them for a couple of years. And then I went back to uh, full-time study at the film and television school. And I picked up doing speed reading again, part-time as a, a part-time income. And after that, I sort of went on to work in television and different things had happened with the company over that, over that period of 10 or 15 years. It was a smaller enterprise and I had gone off on my own, was in experimenting and inventing my own speed reading course, just really out of my experience and observation with all the people that I taught. And then I did this process called, well, you'd call it now a career action plan. In those days, I called it the divine plan of my life now manifests. And I tapped into my heart's desire and I wrote down everything I wanted in a career. I did an inventory of my skills. I included the recognition I hope to get, things like I win awards and I have best-selling books and audios and CDs and uh, you know, in those, those days, there were different formats. And, you know, I have an office with staff that support me. So I just wrote this beautiful picture of what my life would be like in five years' time. And at the time, I was working on a fixed income for a television station. And I realised something had to shift. <laughs> so I moved to part-time at the television station and I did my first brochure. Um, and started promoting it and it just evolved from there. I think the biggest step really was to join a professional association. And um, that's where I actually shifted from being B to C, which was the company's, uh, that company's experience that I'd had to B to B. I started selling corporate courses to companies and that's when the business really took off. 
Awesome. Um, so I've been, I've been in the training in, industry as well, definitely not as long as you have. Um, so we, we, before we, we, we built our marketing agency, we actually ran a training company that taught people or taught even small and medium enterprises how to, how to do their own digital marketing to generate inbound leads. Um, and then we shifted to just consulting. We, we did it for bigger companies. Um, but one of the things I realized about the training industry is that um, marketing and or, or building a training for retail for consumers is is so different from from the B two B business. It's like it's a, it's a training company, but the 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 processes are worlds apart. And actually, in fact, may, um, the one of the things we realized when we started to to chase B two B business is it was very difficult for us, even though we had a, a thriving consumer business, it was very difficult because B2B business, you have to be very structured. You have, you know, the, your, your learning outcomes, your learning plans, your assessment criteria. Um, and oftentimes each, each and every new client uh, really wants something customized to them. Um, so how did you, how did you make that transition? Because I, you know, uh, I've seen so many people play one game well and not play the other game well. Um, and, and so, how did you make that transition? Well, it's um, I, I we did do both. Over, over, look, I've been in business for 20-something years and there have been periods in my life where we put another focus back onto public courses, B2C. So, uh, for the last 10 years, we've really focused more on B2B. But I've had experience at both and doing both at the same time. And sometimes it is a bit tricky doing both at the same time because it, it's called cannibalism where you focus on one style of business, B2C, and your B2B goes down. Then you go back at looking at your B2B and your B2C goes down. So it's, a, it's the magic mix of knowing how to do both. Um, currently, I'm back into B2B, but how do we do it? Well, I believe joining the professional association where you are going to do two things. One, meet the people that could potentially purchase your services. Number two, learn what's important to them by attending the convention or the conference, uh, attending their monthly uh, get-togethers, and also doing the work. Like I had to change how I dressed. I was far too casual in the beginning. I had to change my, um, I had to get very rigorous with my outlines and outcomes, exactly as you said. I now, uh, about 10 years ago, we actually did an exercise where we uh, wrote down a really detailed set of outlines and outcomes. We had outlines, we didn't have the outcomes right. So, and I learned how to write training outcomes doing my diploma in education. So it all came back to me, but I just realised, I think, one client, if they're willing to tell you why you missed out and why they went with another provider, will help you. I'll give you another example uh, along those lines. One provider did say, you missed out on the tender because, by one point, because you didn't have an action plan at the end about how people will apply the training back in the classroom or back, at, back in the workplace. And I went, right. Now it's in, in every proposal, it's in every workbook. Here is the action plan that they will go back uh, to the workplace to apply what they've learned. So you have to listen, take feedback from your clients, and continuously improve. It's called the the plus one percent. You know, find lots of little one percent improvements on a regular basis. 
Awesome. And, uh, you know, having this immense experience in business, um, you know, to having a company that's, that's clearly very leveraged, um, you know, I, I just wanted to understand, you see, the, well, the reason why we have this show is this, you know, there are, there we, we see all within a spectrum um, of entrepreneurs. On one end of the spectrum, you see the guys that are hustling 16, 18 hour days and probably making just enough to make ends meet. And then on the other, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got these, uh, these entrepreneurs that are working maybe four, five, six hours a week playing golf every day and making tens of thousands of dollars. And clearly these people know something that these guys don't and the reason and, and what I'd love to hear from you is is to extract some of that genius and how you've managed to create your company in a way that gives you gives you the leverage uh, to be able to be pretty much at multiple places at one time absolutely well I'm not doing four to six hours a week I am doing 10 hour days but having said that if there's a day that I want to take off I do I mean I don't think about my my work being nine to five or or, or eight to seven um if if i want to have a like after this i'm actually going off to have coffee with a friend but and then i'm going to the brisbane podcasters uh event because i will be launching a podcast in the um in the near future one of the things is to be well not to see yourself as missing out just because you've decided to put in a bit of extra time I see that constant reinvention actually creates different business and life experiences for me because I'm about to launch my uh, my second print book I've got a number of books on um, uh, uh, on Kindle and a number of ebooks that I uh, I give uh, as part of my supply you know supplies to students when they're doing their workshops um, but I'm about to launch my next physical book I I'm also ready to write my third book and it's like once you get into the rhythm of a new product it kind of just starts to have a momentum of its own so I'm squeezing in at least an hour of a day to to write and get another book launched now one of the things I slightly regret is in 2004 I went full bore with doing professionally produced training videos because of the e-learning momentum at that time but what I'm feeling is that if I'd maybe done two videos and one book I would feel more self-satisfied because there's something solid and physical about a book I know you may not make a fortune from it but it's a terrific business card and while I've got a couple of books, I feel that I want to put more effort into always be writing. I had this personal policy of ABR, always be reading, because you see, you're only as smart as the expert that you're currently reading. And if you can read the best expert, like I love to read Seth Godin's uh, books on marketing. I love to read David Allen's book on getting things done. I love to read uh, Norman Doidge's book on the brain that changes itself. I sort of have a wide eclectic uh, range of books that I, I love to read. But now I'm, I'm reading enough to keep up, but I'm always be writing. And I'm, it started with the blog. I started doing blogging uh, before it was even called blogging in the early 2000s. And this book is sort of a uh, a summation or a collation of all the best little blog articles d collected into themes of all, all the last 15 years. But 
the next book's going to be on one theme. So I've, I guess the word, graduated into a one idea in-depth analysis uh, writing. So that's something that any entrepreneur really can do, even if they want to talk, write about their journey, because everybody's journey is unique. That, that, that's really interesting. Now, um, when, when we talk about the training, coaching, consulting industry, um, you know, there are so many, the barriers to entry uh, uh, is, is so low. And, and in fact, there are a lot of trainers that have trouble, like they might be really, really great at what they do, but they have trouble. Uh, they have trouble generating leads. They have trouble getting more business, right? And I always say that that a successful business always has two parts. The first part is your technical expertise, your knowledge. You know what what it is you want to teach. And the second part is is the business business knowledge. The the you know or, or or you know which includes the marketing of it, the finances, the pricing strategy, things like that. So and a really great business has both of these together. Now. I, I'm very sure there are a lot of uh, coaches, trainers, consultants uh, who, who watch this. What advice do you have for them uh, to to generate more leads, to get more customers? And you and there was one that you said already that was excellent, which is, you know, go write a book. You know, you might not make a ton of money from the book. In fact, that's not really the objective of the book. The objective of the book is it's, it, it creates credibility, uh, so much credibility, you become an authority, well, an authority, and and it's it's such a great uh, calling card. What what other what other strategies do you think you can share with us? Well, Fazil, there's actually a third prong to the marketing and the um, the product side of things. There's actually once you have the marketing, then it's sales follow up. Like I will share that for the last twelve years, we've pretty well relied on Google AdWords to generate incoming leads. But number one, it's how I handle that lead. When, I, when it comes in, like I don't just, if, if they say we just want to quote, I kind of have all these little nudge emails, if you like, to encourage them to make a telephone appointment to, so that we can actually tailor the program to what their specific needs are. And I would say nine and a half times out of 10, even though they think they're, they're just sending off a, a, a series of emails to 10 people on the internet, as I say, because there are 10 websites that they found, generally they do come back to me because of the wording that I've put, which is, you know, it really makes sense to um, find out if we're a good fit and what your specific needs are. And they generally come back and, come and say, yeah, well, let's have a conversation. Now, if it's the decision maker, I find that nine times out of 10, then they say, we only want you. We only want you to be the trainer. And in those cases, I can either, if it's in a different city, I can nudge them towards one of my trainers or sometimes I go, well, I go to Melbourne, I go to Canberra, I can cluster a stack of work around it. Now, getting back to answering your question, it's all about focusing on generating your leads but also following up once you've actually sent that proposal and studying how to do proposals is an important thing as well. Like I've actually started just last weekend investing in using a new platform or it's been around a couple of years called Proposify. I don't know if you've heard of that. There's certainly a learning curve involved with that. But what I did was 
I tried to do it two years ago on my own. No one in the office knew anything about it. I was on my own, but this time I got smart. I've got hired a VA through Upwork.com, a web developer, and together I'll say to him, I don't know, once I've uploaded an image, how to delete it, and then a day later he'll come in with the answer because he's it's two heads, two uh, tech-savvy heads looking at a uh, platform and each coming up with the answer. And like he didn't know how to do something, so I told him. So, and he's in Bangladesh. <laughs> so I'm a great believer in using VAs in different parts of the world. Now, I have a tip around doing your sales follow-ups. Would you like me to share that? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So we've talked about lead generation. We've talked about how to handle them when they come in. We've also talked about the proposal and moving from, well, what I'm trialling now is moving from doing the PDF proposal to an online proposal that has the contract that they just accept and they do a digital signature. So I'm, the jury is out. I'm still in uh, working with this. So I'm just sharing my evolution, if you like. But here's a low tech activity that I do every day and it's called my one to seven follow-ups. So I just get my day book. I have a day book and I just write down today's date and any scribbles or notes that goes in there. But at the right time, and usually it's between 10 a.m. and 12.15, which is high quality con uh, client contact time. And once upon a time, I used to phone everybody. But of course, now I uh, vary. Uh, I would say I email some clients, phone other clients. It just depends. If, if they're hiding from me, as you know, when, when you've done a sale and <laughs> you send a few emails and they're not even responding to you, I call that hiding. And it, I'll either sort of set it up for contact in a month's time, but then I'll put a note to myself, make sure you phone them next time. So with the, um, I'll just populate the uh, day book with the numbers one to seven. And I make sure that I've made seven outbound follow-up contacts, whether it be phone or email, nudge email, before I finish for lunch or before I have a morning cup of tea. Like I give myself some sort of milestone and I make sure I do that every day. The only day I'm forgiven is if I'm actually training from nine to five. So I can't be doing that while I'm training. But if it's, a, if it's just an office day, I'm not confusing being busy with doing sales. See, uh, today I'm, I was a little bit involved in doing all the follow-up for bookings that I've got, but that's not doing my sales. So you've always got to be following up from the people you've marketed to who've come in to the office to say, I'm interested. You've got to be constantly following up as well as doing all the work that's involved in s delivering that product to them. So don't confuse delivering the product with doing sales. Does that make sense? Makes makes perfect sense. Makes mm. perfect sense. And I think uh, what happens to a lot of inexperienced entrepreneurs is this, is because these two are very separate. Fulfillment and sales are so separate yes. that, that's right. um, but they don't, they don't, it's not that they don't see it. It's, this is a very common cycle, right? So they go out, they go and get the sale and then they get pulled into delivery and then they, they end up not doing any sales. And then so their income goes like this, right? <laughs> they make the sale 
and then they do delivery and then they make the sale and they do delivery. Um, you know, so I think what, what you just mentioned really is, it's all about doing the small things consistently um, and, and just keep, you know, even if it, even if it's just an hour a day, two hours a day, um, making sure you follow up because all the money is in the follow up. You know, most not not most people aren't going to buy the first time you ask them. You know, it's right. It's all about touch points. <laughs> exactly, and so so just maintaining those touch points, even if that touch point doesn't convert into a sale on the second meeting or the or that third nudge, right? Uh, but you, to consistently keep doing that, that's what keeps that sales pipeline alive, and that's that's gold like to a lot of people i think you know it's not sexy it's not like it's not exciting uh you know but to me when the sales come in even when i'm doing delivery that's exciting absolutely i get very excited with every sale in fact i have a whistle that i blow <laughs> whether i'm alone or whether my assistants are here now something i haven't mentioned because i think the the idea is like you know uh, have some noisemaker that goes boing, you know, even if it's a, a gong, you know, whenever you make a sale, just make that sound because it's like it's it's um, celebrating your, your wins. And um, But something I wanted to mention too about leverage is it's really important to delegate as much as you can to assistance. Now, look, at different times in my life, I've been big on growth. Last year, I did a big move uh, from... Uh, Sydney to my home state of Brisbane, of Queensland uh, and the city of Brisbane. And I really just made last year, it was a lifestyle business with minimal um, uh, support. But this year I'm growing again. I've re, um, rehired what I call interns. And I thought maybe your, your listeners might be interested to know a little bit about my intern strategy. I'd love to hear how you, how, how, well, <laughs> You know, we were just having this conversation before we before we we started recording about how uh, you have a strategy that enables companies to really um, have more elastic production, so expand when they need it, and then and then downsize when they when when they when they don't have to. I'd love to hear about how we right. can do that. All right. Well, first of all, um, one of the early pieces of advice I received from an insurance a woman that had an insurance company was, Nina, do you want to know a really good source of part-time help in your business? Women with children who used to have a really um, uh, responsible role, say a PA to a CEO or, or similar, and they're looking to return to the workforce. They're, uh, that's a source of gold when it comes to recruiting people. So, I, the woman that works for me now uh, one day a week from her own home office used to work for me full time for 17 years. But when I made the move, uh, we decided that I was going to contract a little. I was going to have a lifestyle business. Uh, she found work three days a week and we've she now works solely for me one day a week. Now, having said that, if we expand again, I've got opportunities to increase that support. Now, the other thing that I've explored over the last 10 years is hiring students who are straight from grade 12, which is last year of high school, who want to have a gap year before they go to university. Now, what's interesting is that really only became a phenomenon in Australia about 2008. And I think I missed a year 
But what happened is the woman that I just mentioned, Mandy, who's my been with me for 17 years, her daughter had just finished grade 12, was very smart and was going to be uh, traveling and wanted a job for six months. And I went, well, let's hire her. So she, that gave me the idea. It was so successful having her for six months that I then recruited, when it was her time to leave, another student in a gap year and she did all of the handover. Now, then I had a student come in uh, the year after who said, Nina, have you ever thought about interns? I said, interns. Interns can be free, but I've now realised that if you call it a paid internship when you advertise, you get the cream of university students who are looking for part-time work and they see this as a huge opportunity, and it is, and you do have a responsibility, which is to start each day with, a say, a 30-minute lesson on what is content marketing? What is, uh, how do Google Ads work? So uh, how do you, um, how do we follow up? sales after we've uh, done a proposal. So basically, I do 30 minutes of training with them. But what's good about that is it's not all one way. I can actually pose a question to them that's actually in my head going, huh, how could we improve the way our proposal looks? I could actually just set that as our agenda for the meeting. And I'm actually getting fresh ideas from young eyes and often they and pretty well they're all doing either mass communication marketing journalism that's the sort of um, topic that they do now I'd like to share the process of of hiring them excellent they'll be yeah. great okay so I've created a lovely ad that it does glorify the role but the the role is glorified okay it makes it sound really really interesting and i make sure the job matches the description no intern has ever said they were disappointed that the job description didn't match the reality <laughs> um and the thing about paying them is i don't know about other countries in the world but australia's laws around internships have tightened somewhat and i i never personally took negative advantage of the fact that when you have someone working for free, um, what the laws are now is that you can't direct them to do day-to-day -day work or functions in the job that you would ordinarily hire somebody to do. So that's like sending out mail outs. So how I've got around that is I call it a paid internship. I'm paying them the, um, the award salary as if I'd, uh, advertise for an admin assistant, but because I'm calling it an internship, and it is, I attract a better quality student. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So now with the internships there at uni, I'm sometimes interstate or training. We can't say you're going to work every Wednesday without fail. So we can't have a student that is absolutely reliant on this income to pay their rent. And that's what I find is that we get students who they might have another job that's regular on a, you know, working in a hardware store or working in McDonald's serving hamburgers. But they see the role with me as being, we, we book it from week to week. Like I've got one student that's every Friday, but some Fridays, like we've got Easter coming up this Friday, he won't work because it's a holiday in Australia and other places. So I've got one 
marketing in turn, he has a whole set of roles on a Friday. I hired a second sales and marketing intern and she actually does a couple of hours of phone follow-up, simple follow-up of, I call it pre-sales. These are people that we might have sent a proposal to, but they haven't yet. They either decided not to buy or they've put it off, um, but they're not in my hot list. Like I only devote my attention and time to people that are about to purchase, that are ready to purchase or that just, that I sent a proposal to. But yeah. I've got what I call carryovers on my list. These are the people there, B and C, they're lukewarm. But honestly, if you touch base with them, they could get hot again. But I don't have time to do that. I certainly stay in touch through my blog. I mean, I've got 5,000 people on my, on my list. That's, and that's a real list because there's 3,000 over 10 years that have unsubscribed or bounced or whatever. But it's constantly being added to through my website and through the workshops. So we're doing the content marketing, sending out the, the blog articles, but I can get a junior to follow my, I won't say script, I call it a what to say guide. Now, having said that, I haven't mentioned the process. You, they send you their CV. I have a set of questions that I ask pretty well the same every time. It's, it's a telephone interview. Yep. I rate them at the end of the interview. I, put, I just have it on a piece of paper. I mean, if you want to do it soft copy, that's fine. I don't mind having pieces of paper there um, because I might have their uh, P PDF of their, um, of their CV up on screen. And I'll rate them out of 10 because you do forget who are the good ones. And then I say, if you are, if we shortlist you, we'll be inviting you to come to our office for a group meeting. And I had at the last um, ad that I put up for five days at the beginning of the year, I had 30 quality CVs. Any single one of them on paper, looking at the CVs, I would be happy to hire. So I had to whittle it down to how, what's the maximum number of people I could invite comfortably in the uh, conference area at the, at the space here at the office. So I decided that nine was the maximum. So I invited nine. I think I invited 10 and nine, nine came. Uh, one, one said an apology. And I do, a, it's, it's all over within 60 minutes. I do a series of pen and paper exercises. This is all explained in the email. You're coming to have a look at the office. We'll do a few pen and paper exercises. I, on the internet, you can find free Myers-Briggs type indicator questionnaires. So if anybody's familiar with that profile, uh, I'm I'm in training, so of course I know Myers Briggs, but you can become, you can get to know Myers Briggs by doing one yourself. Just Google Myers Briggs Type Indicator or MBTI, and it gives you the the types, the four types. So get to know that. I'm also familiar with the DISC profile, so I on the day I'll give them a. It's a public domain DISC profile. Some people might be familiar with that. I know the profile I'm looking for. I'm looking for a high I influencer, perhaps with a bit of D and perhaps which is direct and focused on results and perhaps with a bit of C, which is conscientious or compliance, the ability to uh, good attention to detail. The third test I give them, and this one is absolute gold and I, I got it from a human resources manager of a pharmaceutical company. It's called a matching test and I think people will have to find their own matching test. It's just four columns. You could actually do it yourself. Four columns with heaps of little 
numbers, amounts like dollar amounts or people's names, company names, and then another uh, matching set of columns, but it's slightly different or exactly the same. And they have to just pick tick if it's the same or cross if it's different. This matching test is absolute goal because I want people who can not make typos, get email addresses, addresses correct. So just to finish up, we have the group meeting. I obviously, I want to win their hearts and minds about how great a place it would be to work. And then I say, call me if you want to take the next step. Call me in two days' time. They have two days for all the enthusiasm to fall away. And they self-select who wants to work. And I never, ever have to send an email saying, thank you for your interest, but we've chosen someone else. I never have to do that. All that happens, well, to some degree, all that happens is they call and say, yes, I'd like to take the step, next step. So I just take a list. Of course, then, if I've had more than two or three respond, then I have to send a thank you, but no thanks. And uh, and. I always give them a little bit of a, a pep talk, like I was impressed with your enthusiasm and people with your energy will no doubt do well in life. So I always add something like that. But I, generally speaking, the first person to call after 9am is the most keen, wants it the most, is the person that I hire. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love the process. I know that that's amazing. That's amazing. And I know that the audience will find that really, really useful. Thank you so much, Nina. It works. It works. Cool. If there was one piece of advice that you, you would give uh, to the audience, what, what would that be? I'm going to say lead from the front. Learn to be a good presenter and you can learn that even with one staff member because I have this in, if I've got one interns or two, we sit at the conference table, it's just the dining room table, and I put a flip chart paper up on the wall or the, or, or the flip chart easel and I stand and when we're talking and brainstorming, I'm actually standing as a presenter would, as a facilitator would. So it creates a kind of respect. And um, but also I'm gaining practice at presenting. And for anybody who's an entrepreneur, there are so many lead generating opportunities. If you can actually do a free talk at a breakfast meeting and if you've having practice in your own business and practice out there uh, in the in, in, in the community, you're generating leads. And I do want to say that the first time that I ever presented was as a student, uh, film school student, and our, our film won an award. I, I shudder to confess that I didn't even rehearse the thank you speech. I was the director. And I spoke a million miles an hour. I, I thanked everybody, but it was people could hardly hear what I was saying because I was talking so fast out of nervousness. And I made a promise to myself I would never... I would never not rehearse and never speak that quickly ever again. Having said that, the second time I was invited to present to a group of women after dinner, 80 women, which was different to training, I overprepared. I tried to learn it by rote. And because I was trying to present from memory, I came across as wooden. In other words, stilted. And ever since then, the best advice I can say, as well as learning how to present in front of groups is learn to rehearse, have your notes, 
but then put them aside and present off the cuff, cuff because then it's all coming from the heart. Awesome. Thank you so much for all that gold, Nina. Um, really, really, very humbled, very honored, very grateful to have you on the Leverage Advantage show. Thank you so much. If people want to know more about what you do um, or if there's anything you know that, that you want to plug about your business, what, what, what should they know? Well, I'm excited about my new book, Curiosity Has Nine Lives, Bite-Sized Professional Development Articles. And that'll be up in Amazon in a matter of weeks. I mean, it's Easter and I'll be finishing the final edit and it'll be going to the formatter. Um, I've also got an executive uh, travel retreat, transformational travel retreat coming up in Italy, probably January 2019. So through my website, ninasunday.com or nina at ninasunday.com, send me uh, an email for details on that. Uh, and uh, of course, we do, we do corporate training, we do speaking. So uh, just find me on Amazon. Thank you so much, Nina. Um, that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you so much for all your golden nuggets. Uh, have a nice day. It's a pleasure, Phil. Same to you. You've been listening to The Leverage Advantage. If you're wanting to take yourself out of your business so that you can do more of what you love, head on over to theleverageadvantage.com to find out how you can use our leverage system to build a fully automated marketing machine for your business.